What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is an accidental hospitality leader. She manages the ongoing renovation work across the growing portfolio for the eighth largest hotel company in the U.S., Sinesta Hotels International. She oversees the building and design standards by brand for conversion and new build hotels within the managed and franchise portfolio for Sinesta. She's been working in the hospitality industry for over a decade and a half. She's the Senior Director of Renovation and Capital Projects at Sinesta Hotels. Ladies and gentlemen, Bridget Rooks. Welcome, Bridget. Thanks, Dan. Awesome. Well, it's so good to see you here, and thank you for your time. I know um, you're a mom with a, a new a new, a new-ish one who's 17 months old. Yeah, and 18, an, 19. Yeah, yeah, 18 or 19 months old. And in the midst of that, you had her in the midst of the pandemic, correct? Yes. Which is insane because, as I said in a recent conversation with Brian Quinn, you guys went from 50 hotels before the pandemic yeah. to over 1,200 now. Yeah. And now you are responsible for allocating all the capital and projects to like convert brands, create brands, and get it going. Yeah, I'm part of the process. Yeah. Yeah, part of the committee. On part that. of the committee for yeah. that. Um, and I think what's really interesting about your story and journey is that I said at the beginning, you're an accidental hospitality leader, mm. right? So when you think about your journey into hospitality and where you came from, I don't think many people know you were a playwright. I was. And it's interesting in our conversations before how in many ways, creating a play mm-hmm. and putting it out on stage and producing it and writing it and being involved in that whole process is very similar to what you're doing now. I think so. Yeah, I don't think that that's a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about, and I, I want to pull on that thread a little bit in a second, but if you think about that as kind of a, a baseline or a framework, a frame to work within. Right. On your journey, like how how do you define hospitality as an accidental hospitality leader? Yeah, I I would define hospitality as a warm welcome, right? And being ready to greet guests, uh, to meet the needs of their occasion Mm -hmm. and of that location of where they're going and, um, you know, just being prepared to to exceed those expectations and provide that warm welcome. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that warm welcome, because in so many of these conversations, that warmth or hearth is really it's like it's a feeling Mm -hmm. and if you think about I don't know what your writing process was but if you think about the stacks of paper yeah I assume you would write or type how would you do it I would write then type okay good so you get that you're you're working on all these different ideas and then you're you're iterating them and revising and revising Mm -hmm. and then you know it's just right right when you know it's right it's not a formula it's a feeling right yeah and it's specific to each project, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you think about, you know, this growth story of 50 to 1,200, right. and you're writing, you're writing standards, and you're getting design on board, you're, you're coordinating with construction, you're coordinating with your capital partners, 
how how is that your play now? Like, how do you look at it as a play? I look at it very similar to a play, right? So a play would always start for me with a with an outline and kind of with a a through message, almost a thesis statement. And so for custom renovations, that thesis statement is your uh, it's your design narrative, and that's your ultimately it's it's the elevator pitch for how the renovation capital that's going to be spent is going to improve the performance mm -hmm. of the hotel and how is that going to deliver on that guest experience. Um, and then from a writing perspective, um, you know, just always having in mind the different stakeholders that need to be part of the process and getting them engaged and understanding their perspective. So you're writing a play, you're always looking at perspectives of all these individual characters. And so the same can, I, it sounds like a stretch, but I think the same applies to our industry, right? So in developing standards, they need to work for delivering the brand standards, the defining brand standards, right? But they also need to work for uh, owners and asset managers, right, that are evaluating the performance of the hotels. They have to work for developers that are looking to partner with Sinesta. So mm -hmm. it's keeping all of those perspectives in mind to evaluate the criteria of any, any number of initiatives that we're rolling out right now. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, as a, you know, I, I, would, I, I write, but I wouldn't consider myself a writer. Mm -hmm. But in those times when it, you just know it's right, it's like that, there's that thread or narrative that kind of spins through everything. Yeah. And, you know, iteration, 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 and then it's, you just, you have that feeling, you know mm -hmm. it's there. Um, I want to also go back into the accidental part. So being a playwright. Mm-hmm. How did you find your way into this crazy industry? Because so many of these conversations that we've been having here on defining hospitality is how many people have no hospitality experience that yeah. come into it. And then their eyes are, and hearts, eyes and hearts are lit up by the people, the community yeah. of, you know, designing, building, owning, operating hotels. Yeah. And then they never want to leave. Right. So like, how did, how did you find your way from playwright to here? Yeah, I mean, it was random, um, and it's a great industry, right? Yeah. And I think that for the right personalities, like once you get a taste of it, there's no going back almost. Mm -hmm. um, but I was, you know, writing plays. It might not surprise you that that doesn't necessarily pay a lot of money. And I had student loans, right? So I was also managing uh, a Trader Joe's at the time, which is a great company. Um, but you know, the hours weren't very stable and I was looking for something that was more nine to five to balance out, you know, to pay the bills while I was also pursuing mm -hmm. my little $3,000 plays or whatever. So um, so I, I had a friend in Colorado from high school that uh, was an English major and she worked for Benjamin West, which is a purchasing company in, in the industry, which I'm sure I don't need to say. And she worked for them in Colorado and I just thought, okay, well, if she, can do that with an English background. Maybe I could do that with an English background, right? So they had a Chicago office that had just opened at the time, and they had a London office, which was very enticing to me. And so I, uh, I applied, I got the job, and I just started as a project coordinator at Benjamin West um, when I got into the industry. And I had an amazing mentor, uh, this woman, Toby Noodleman, that just, wow. you know, would just give me uh, every opportunity to do more. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and learn more and take on more responsibilities and, you know, kind of guide the effort um, and, and let me sort of soar out on my own with that as well. And so that's kind of how I got into purchasing. And then, you know, 
as I was in purchasing, I was taking on more and more projects. I was, you know, leading a team. And then, uh, you know, eventually I became a project director and I had, I think, you know, 25, 28 projects at a time. And so then you're getting all that exposure. You're on all these conference calls. You're going all to all these sites. Um, you're part of the process. And I just, I, I was always fascinated by the, the entire effort that it took to, to make these uh, renovations happen. And so I wasn't just paying attention to the part that was related to me is this uh, is coming in within budget, is this product arriving on time? I was listening to everything that was going on. Um, and I learned a lot through that process. And then uh, I had an opportunity to transition into project management uh, with another amazing mentor, this woman, Vicki Smith, who had done it for a long time. And, um, you know, she kind of showed me the ropes and I got involved on the project management side and I was a little mm -hmm. bit intimidated because I didn't have a lot of construction background, but I was very diligent. I was very organized and, you know, I wasn't afraid when I didn't know something to call people that I had met, you know, I had met a lot of contractors through my time as a purchasing agent. So I would call them and, and mm -hmm. just, you know, sort of suss out, is this, is this the, the right effort on, on, on this project? And, you know, again, kind of took on a lot of projects in that role. And so then that just gets you more learning opportunities. And uh, I did a lot of work with Sinesta kind of throughout that through line. So mm -hmm. that's how I wound up uh, really getting to know a lot of the people at Sinesta and then uh, joining in 2020. So I heard you say through that and also in just a lot of other conversations and just from my own experience, listening, listening, yeah, mentors, yeah. asking. And I think one of the things that has struck me throughout us knowing each other is you've never been afraid to say that you don't know something. Right. Right. And I find that so many people are scared to be vulnerable in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but you're also very, you ask so many questions so that you can always find it. And you're so good at finding the people that know the answers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, have you always been that way? And like, where do you think that that being okay with that vulnerability so that you can better your understanding of how everything works? Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I, I think that that's a good question. I don't think I was always that way. I think mm -hmm. that when I was younger, it was, you know, important to me to seem like I knew what I was doing. Um, I have three older siblings. And, you know, when I was growing up, I have a younger brother too. But when I was growing up, all I wanted to do was be like my older siblings and be on the the same wavelength as them, right? So I think when I was younger, I was definitely more, more looking to portray that I was at that level already. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, just from, I don't know when it turned, but you, you just, it's not, you're not effective um, pretending to know something that you don't know. And so once you realize that, and again, I don't know exactly that turning point, it becomes how do you do the best job that you can, right? Um, I remember the first union project I was working on when I was a project manager. I was uh, trying to put the budget together, and I just really wanted to make sure that I understood the labor increase correctly, right? So I was just calling everybody that I knew that would have an understanding of that and just, okay, I know how to do a budget. I know how to put these line item estimates together based on past data, but... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what's the union premium that I should be carrying for this? And really, I don't know, it, it's, it's important for me to be correct in my work. And so I think that might be where it comes from, that that is how I jump that hurdle, is that I'd rather be um, correct at the end of the day than, you know, uh, 
than appearing and knowledgeable. Yeah, and then so if the drive, if the driver is to be correct mm-hmm. and, and have the best portrait or work done, it's like okay, well I'm okay. That if that's number one driver, then I'm okay asking all these questions to get to that point. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, okay, so to use it, as you were talking, it made me think of something that I once heard where when you were trying to get that for the union example, like right. how many people do you think you spoke to before you got to there? Yeah, I mean, I think I probably spoke to three or four people mm-hmm. just to kind of make sure that, you know, the the assumptions were, yeah. you know, worth presenting to people that I could stand behind them because mm-hmm. I would have to stand behind them, you know, it's as in- the project advanced. It's interesting because I once read this story, uh, a story of, I don't remember if it was, they were looking for a sunken a battleship or submarine or something in the middle of the Atlantic, right? Yeah. And there was a, like an American crew looking for it. A German crew, a English crew, a French crew. There were three or four groups, and yeah. they all had based on last location, radio, this, this, this. They spoke. Um, they all had different coordinates for where they would thought in this general area. Yeah. And when they averaged, when they put all the coordinates together into an average and found that one spot, right? It was there. Yeah. They found it. Right. And um, I don't know. I just think that this idea of being I guess that's what it is. It's curiosity. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's curiosity and it, um, you know some humility as well mm. to just be willing to have that vulnerability, right? So. Yeah, and then when you think about hospitality as well yeah. for hotels and travel, mm-hmm. I know that you're you've always loved it, and you shared with me like a really cool thing about how your parents brought you up. Yeah. And did, that, did and it, does that how they how they brought you up with respect to travel and vacation does that fuel your idea of curiosity as well? I think definitely. I mean, travel remains a huge priority for me and for my husband and our family. We we uh both of our daughters have been to like 15 states at this time. We try to leverage, you know, travel along with mom on trips and we take advantage of, you know, being able to use miles to go to places. Mm-hmm. So both of my kids have been to Scotland. The older one's been to France and to Germany and everything. Wow. And you meet friends and um, you just build these relationships and with other like-minded, curious people, right? That mm-hmm. I think is really exciting. And for me, but, when I was... But there's also that element of surprise too. Yeah. And when the way that your parents would surprise you was, I'm just really envious that like, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So why don't you share that? So my, um, my dad passed away when I was young. He passed away when I was 10. And mm-hmm. so I have this sort of uh, time capsule in my head of very vivid memories from when he was around. And my parents would not tell uh, my younger brother and I when we were going on vacation. So they would pack all of our bags and um, just wake us up morning of. And then you'd be on your way to the airport. Uh, and it was, you know, incredibly exciting. I have at O'Hare between the B and C gates, there's that, you know, light display in, in that terminal. And I have such vivid, oh, those neon yeah, rainbow tubes under exactly. there with the mirrored ceiling. And those have been there since at yeah. least the eighties. Right. So cool I just sculpture. have, yeah. I have such vivid memories of being on there, being down that hallway, looking up and just like, where are we going? We're going to Florida. You know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful and it's wonderful 
to kind of instill that excitement with travel and and just that sense of adventure and the sense that you know things will happen along the way and you just adapt to them you 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 keep going and um i think that that definitely was part of what made me catch the bug for the industry mm-hmm. once once getting into it because you get all these opportunities to see new places and you know I, one of my favorite parts of my job is that you go to locations you wouldn't necessarily vacation to but they have their own merit and so you get all this exposure to all these great all these great locations and you get to know people that have great perspective on those locations and it, i mean it's it's the best i also think when you're going to those locations that you normally wouldn't go to and you have a project there and then you're working with the designer yeah who most more often than not they do because they want to get the narrative for that location right right you have your brand yep but then they, they need to get the the brand and the flavor of the location and yep. i love like walking into a design firm's office when they're in that research phase yeah the ideation phase so deep yeah. and they find these really cool and curious stories, right. but then it's like, okay, how do we make this into a real thing? Yep. What? So if you look at like the projects that you're working on now, as far as a surprise, yeah, on that narrative side of like the location, right? What's been like a really cool one that you've seen recently? Um. Hmm. You know, we're kind of just with the custom projects mm-hmm. that we're doing. We're in that process right now, so we're developing those narratives right now we just kind of launched them this year um so i don't think i can speak to that specifically right now with Mm -hmm. the process that it's in but the research that's been done um you know seeing what what buildings that you know were built uh as you know apartment buildings and then they used to be um they used to have these great terraces with bars and everything and how can we tie that into the design I, i i love that part of the journey i love that you know using that to define the narrative um and it, it's it's great. I love observing that creativity and leaning into that creativity, touching base with design firms throughout the conceptual design phase to kind of collaborate on mm-hmm. that. It's great. And then I know being new on the journey, new-ish on yeah. this like pandemic, post-pandemic journey. Um, in speaking to Brian, he mentioned that you guys were spending an insane amount of <laughs> capital. Yeah. Right. It's well, our like, capital partner. Or your is, capital yeah. partner. Right. And yeah. you're at, but you're responsible for allocating that responsibly. Well, the so it's a, it's a team effort, right? So it's the asset managers, it's operations leaders. Well, when it's I say myself. you, I mean you yeah. and your the team that you're yeah. on. Yeah. Right. 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 All the stakeholders in each of the projects. Right. So and that number is like a half a billion dollars. Yeah. Plus or minus. Right. right. Um, that is a tremendous responsibility. Yeah. Right. It is. And then. How, how do you guys ma- manage that as far as making sure that, okay, you're in, you're, you've captured that narrative for each of the projects, like mm-hmm. you feel you're in that good feeling thing. Right. But then how on that, there's like a, a fiduciary responsibility that right. all of you have to your capital partners to make sure that you're getting an ROI on that. And sometimes right. in what we do, it's really hard to measure that. Right. But how, how do you guys as a team make all that happen? Because to go from 50 to 1200 of anything, yeah, it's in any world, that's yeah. a lot. That's like ultimate scale. Right. And I'm just really curious by like the dynamism that you guys must have and yeah. your communication. Like, how do you get it done? Yeah. You know, I think we spend a lot of time, you know, my, 
my team, my department, but also the brand team and defining what the brand standards are mm-hmm. for each of our brands over the last you know two years. Um, you know, joining Sinesta at the end of 2020, it had been much smaller, so they didn't we didn't have those standards well defined, right? Mm-hmm. So we've spent a lot of time developing those. But I think in in tandem with that effort of defining what the standards are and how those relate to design standards specifically, is what are our areas of flexibility? Because in defining the areas of flexibility, it gives you the lens to look at each individual project from an owner's perspective of, you know, for instance, if, if there's a, a shower surround, right, and it's not to our brand specification, um, we're not going to take the assumption to replace that just because it's not to our brand specification if it's bright and modern and, and isn't a detractor from the room. So what are the opportunities to imp- improve the performance of that hotel? Are those <coughs> opportunities coming from uh, you know, replacing all those surrounds, or are they coming from you know, pursuing room type conversions and looking at uh, the public area and how do we integrate you know, uh, our objectives within the public spaces. So, we, you know, one of the cool things about Sinesta being as lean as we are right now and, and as small still um, as we are is that we we look at things on that individual basis. We don't look at things that that one size fits all, you must do this. You know, what is the ROI in that market for putting in this brand, uh, this brand standard? And if it doesn't make sense to pivot from that and, and really focus on the elements of scope mm-hmm. that are going to improve the performance at the end of the day. Yeah. And so that we look at every project kind of exhaustively, individualistically. Um, but I think that it's ultimately to, to our betterment, to our primary capital partners betterment that, you know, that's the rigor that we're making those decisions with. And I, and I love the fact that, okay, you have these goals, you have the thesis, as you said earlier, right. but I like the idea of areas of flexibility. It's like really picking your battles. Right, exactly. What's best? Okay, there's a tailor-made standard right. for everything, but really it doesn't necessarily work over everything. So it's like, how do you... And I find on a lot of projects that I work on, I find sometimes the, the thesis is so inflexible mm-hmm. that they're missing... Sometimes people are missing like what... Or they don't ask the question, what's most important here? Right. Like help, what helps us get here? And... I find that those are really important conversations to have. Yes. Um, and to also be vulnerable and flex on because it's right. like, hey, guys, like this really isn't working. Like, let's see how we can pick our battles and, and figure right. this out. When you earlier, you said like on that curiosity or vulnerability side, you weren't always that way. It, it was just a process over time of wanting to be yeah. right and put the best product forward. If you think about the team that you're on now or previous mentors Mm -hmm. or, or even influences, like where do you think you learned that from the most as far as being able to pick those battles and get to the point of what's most important as like a, as like a check on your process? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is, um, you know, just learning from past experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I've been involved in a lot of projects at this point, right? And then, uh, you know, I work so closely with our primary capital partners. My my department is under our overall strategy team within Sinesta, mm-hmm. and so always trying to um, work together across our departments to to 
find those areas of impact. Like, mm-hmm. what is the real opportunity here? Um, from a mentorship perspective, it's countless in a way because there's kind of the intentional mentors, the people that have taken me under their wing. But then there's also, you know, getting so much exposure through so many projects to so many different people. Mm. You know, in the vendor community, I've learned so much from many different manufacturers about the, you know, going on factory tours and finding out about the efficiencies that can be achieved with certain things that would still deliver the design intent, right? So if you make a headboard two inches thinner, you know, is that really gonna detract from uh, the design intent or is that going to be, you know, providing some efficiency on the buying side of, of those materials? And then, you know, just being open-minded mm-hmm. to some of those uh, those learnings and insights from others within the industry, you know, on the designer, uh, on the designer side, I think there's a lot of designers that do a great job of working around, you know, using the restrictions of a budget, for instance, as as a challenge and, you know, really coming up with creative ways to to still make transformations. You know, Miriam Torres is amazing at that. I can name many others, right, that deliver on that. And then, um, you know, pe- leadership within our organization, we've got a really, you know, amazing, strong senior leadership at our, our within our organization that have a, a lot of experience and, and really a strong vision of, you know, wanting to have consistent uh, brand identities, but also just what are the important elements of those consistent mm. brand identities. And so, I mean, the influences uh, tr- contributing to that are kind of countless, mm. right? And it's a process. And I guess, it, you know, it's probably that innate curiosity that you have yeah. where you're always open to that and always open to the learning. Um, as you look at your, your life experience from, you know, being the the little girl with the big siblings to the surprise travel, to writing plays, to entering the hospitality industry, um, accidentally, that's a great foundation. Also the mentors, right? We all, we all stand on the shoulders of those before us, but as, as you take your life experience and kind of look at where you are now, the person I'm speaking to, and you kind of look forward mm-hmm. as far as the team and the leaders that you're all around and that have assembled at Sinessa. What's exciting you most about the future right now? Uh, I mean, we've done so much foundational work over the last two years, but to execute it, we need that capital investment, right? So the the partnership with our primary capital partner, like willing to take that bet on us, and roll this out over the next few years. I mean, staying at a Senesta in three years will mean something completely different than it means today, right? Because today all of our hotels, or most of our hotels, are conversions that are still bearing the the, the hallmarks of other brands, right? So that's incredibly exciting for me. I'm, I'm you know, we did Senesta Select uh, prototype, Senesta ES Suites prototypes, Senesta Simply Suites prototypes uh, over the last year. And we, we executed all of those. Basically, we got the brand work done from the brand team, went straight into design, and had all of those prototype reviews this summer mm-hmm. uh, with converted assets. And you know, we worked with DLR Group on Select. We worked with Baskerville on ES and Simply. They all did amazing jobs meeting uh, the objectives of each of those brands, but also making the design something uh, distinct and exciting and flexible. So on Senesa Select, it doesn't look anything like any other, you know, upscale focus service brand. It's it's a completely unique product that has 
um, clear advantages within the marketplace, and I just can't wait for us to roll that out. Mm. And then on the ES and the Simply side, you know, you have all these different base building types within our portfolio. You have residence inns and summer fields and Staybridge suites that are and everything existing. that are ex well that have been converted Com to right. Sinesta ESs. So how do you make a design work for all those different? Uh, building types, how do you make it scalable? How do you make it approachable for uh, the development community that are bringing hotels into our brands? And um, just all the teams did a tremendous effort with building kind of kit apart selections that really carry the theme of the design intent and expression, but leaves that flexibility uh, for, you know, the opportunities within that specific hotel, that specific market. I just heard you say kit apart. Yeah, kit what of is, parts. Oh, kit of parts. Yeah. Okay. So, like walk us through a good, like that kit of parts. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So that's used to kind of, in a way, bridge the gap. Right. Between the, the recently converted properties, which is probably like signage and right. some other things and maybe marketing experience, but right. the rooms are still the rooms, the lobbies are still the lobbies because right. you just haven't gotten to them yet. Right. Okay. So if you look at this massive conversion and also rollout of new brands, right. how do you and if you say the most important thing is execution, how do you guys measure how you're executing or if you're executing well? Like, is it a property by property thing? Does everything roll up into a dashboard? Like, how do you how do you measure your execution? Yeah, so I mean, you know, we, at this point, we don't have any completed renovations that are portraying what has been established so far, but um, we have data metrics, we have, you know, um, a lot of research and analyst groups. We're, we're looking for more and more ways to collect that guest feedback on the experience. We have a customer advisory council that our you know sales and commercial team meet with on a regular basis to solicit feedback for you know guest priorities, and they give us a lot of insight and learning of you know what opportunities exist that we wouldn't have thought of on our own. Um, and then through the scope process, you know we're developing the scopes, we're developing the budgets, we're working really closely with asset management um, to try to project what the ROI lift is going to be for individual scope components. And then if it's not aligning at the end of the day with the overall cost of the renovation, like what areas are the priority? What areas should we be doubling down on? And what areas should we be scaling back from? And it's, you know, it's gonna be different per property and per location, but it's a, it's a team effort. There's, um, a lot of people within the strategy department at, at Sinesta, but also a lot of people from the primary owner, uh, ownership group with the asset management uh, that you know have a lot of really um, concrete knowledge of those markets that they're overseeing and of those hotels that they're overseeing. And just being receptive and having that dialogue on an ongoing basis is really important. And also, you know, getting the feedback from the development team too. You know, in developing these focus service standards. We, we talked to everybody, you know, we, we, we were socializing the designs with everybody as they were being developed and making sure that we were getting that feedback. We have Sinesta Simply Suites is a great brand and it has a very lean operating model um, that we don't want to break, right? And so getting kind of a panel of experts of the operators themselves to weigh in on, you know, this sort of program-wide rollout, what is a priority, what works, what doesn't work, what are the things that we need to make sure we include with this and, um, you know, that's kind of that that socialization that, you know, looking at the perspective of those characters, right, that mm -hmm. is, is, I think, really important to us to try to achieve that long-term result. Cool. Yeah. And then, again, going from, like, the select select service yeah. to luxury, right, because right? you have... We have upper upscale. Upper yeah. upscale, okay. Mm -hmm. So select service to upper upscale. 
Are there any, looking at the guest comments or feedback that's coming back, are there any threads or like, are any more, are any comments heavily weighted across all of it or are they kind of individualized by by bucket, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's by buckets, it's by location too, right? So an mm-hmm. upscale or an upper upscale hotel is, the needs will vary depending on, you know, the market and the uh, comp set of that market and what are the opportunities. And I think that, um, you know, in approaching a project, my team, but also the designers that we partner with, you know, we like to ask those leading questions of the operators because they know their market, they know their comp set, they know what their competitive disadvantages are. And so really taking the opportunity of a renovation to address those competitive disadvantages mm-hmm. is something that um, we really strive to achieve. Yeah, and I I don't know, I just find that you, you look at the experiences out there and I know as much as everyone says that they wanna hear from the guests, I, of, I often get the feeling that they, <laughs> when guests give feedback, right. oftentimes it's not listened to, right? right? And again, the feedback is to address some of those concerns, it requires a lot of investment too. Right. Um, and you're not going to hit every one of them, right? Because you're not necessarily going to have that investment. Yeah. So you yeah. kind of have to balance them all. But it's not just out. the guests, it's, you know, it's the sales teams of oh. those hotels. And it's, you know, what is, what would make a difference in your ability to s- sell this hotel? Or, you know, what would keep guests here longer? What would build your base business? Is that what you need to achieve? Do you need to be focusing on the ADR? Um, you know, it's that's where it, I think our approach at, at really trying to look at each property individually is important. You know, an airport hotel is going to have different needs than a downtown location or a resort location. And, um, you know, that all kind of goes into informing our approach to yeah. individual renovations. Um, I want to go back to the the playwright side of things again because it, it it's just so I don't know I don't know if I really know any playwrights so I'm considering you a playwright. Okay. You are one. A former playwright. Um, do, are you still writing? <laughs> um, no, it's it's a little busy with my day job and uh, and my kids, but uh, you know I'd be open to it in the future. I loved doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then if you think about. Um, that first excite. Okay, so you write this play, and I, let's let's overlay it with the work you're doing now, right? Sure. You write the play. You're working with the production team. Yep. Uh, the director, the actors. Mm-hmm. It's up there on stage. Yeah. Um, the lights go down. The lights come up. Yeah. And that exciting feeling. What are you? What's the looking forward with your Sinesta hat on? Yeah. What's the? What's the next? Um, opening night, so to speak. The next opening night for Sinesta. Um, we have early adopters. Uh, I think we have 12 hotels that are the first to adopt our uh, prototype design that are in construction or will be in construction at the beginning of the year. And so that's exciting. It's the first opportunity that we have to really roll out these designs. And um, it took a lot to get them to a point where basically as soon as the prototypes and model room reviews were complete we were you know off to the races trying to get those executed and we had done a lot of pre-work on those properties leading up to it so Mm -hmm. that's going to offer us a lot of um opportunities in different locations to sort of test out you know uh the success of those designs in further detail and and you know refine from there and um 
you know, on the full service side, those are much longer processes, right? But end of next year, beginning of 2024, um, we're going to have, you know, the first half dozen full service hotels um, transformed, right, within our brand standards. And so I'm really excited about next year. I'm excited about 2024 because I think that that's where you're going to start seeing some of those transformations with that thesis statement, with that unified uh, brand standard approach and understanding our target guests, understanding the key defining brand standards, understanding all the wonderful brand work that our brand and marketing team did, you know, rolling those out into executed projects is it's, I I can't wait. So I would say, you know, mid 2024, hopefully we have a whole lot to see in that. Cool. And then if you think about the projects that have converted to this new bigger Sinesta, um, or in the middle of it, and right. as your maybe guests are staying at Sinestas for the first time right. more and more, what are some of the best examples of guest feedback that you're getting? Well, so, so the hotels haven't fully converted yet, but of mm-hmm. the public spaces that we executed in... Um, yeah, even even being in midstream, right, so to right. speak. Like, People are, have stayed at this hotel. They're they're coming back yeah. before. There's a new. There could be a new team. Yeah. There's a new lobby. There's new. Yep. A new. Exp, there is a new experience Absolutely. despite the rooms being yeah. the same. Like what are the, what are some great examples of guest feedback? Yeah. So it uh, our Sinesta Select prototype hotel, which is in Foxborough. Um, you know we we were looking at the reception area and trying to look at it from a a long view, right? So right now people are still needing the two check-in stations for a hotel of that size. But as time goes on and um, you get more uh, self-check-in, you get more mobile check-ins, right? How do you make that area adaptable in the future so that way you're not having to completely redo it Mm -hmm. down the road? And so DLR Group and and our uh, innovations team work together to kind of define this uh, immersive market experience around the reception area. And then the reception pods themselves in the future are are convertible to sort of merchandise display case. So if you wind up needing fewer uh, pods in the future, then you you have that ability to um, change the use of that space. And then we implemented self-pay at the market and the, and, you know, sort of strategic merchandising at the market so that mm-hmm. way it's not just this afterthought. It's, you know, we're, we're offering products intentionally. Um, you know, we were working with uh, Impulsify about some of those selections and they provided a lot of great insight. And, um, you know, the the feedback that we are getting, you know, I, I went back to that hotel just, you know, a couple months ago and, you know, the guests are loving it. They're loving being able to just come in and find something that's really appealing to them, pay for it on the spot. and I. I I think it's great, and I can't wait to roll out that type of thing at more hotels. I love the idea of that you said uh, offering products intentionally, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, being a road warrior, you go there, and it always seems like, oh, I forgot to pack something, and then it's kind of where I need to buy that whatever it was, or if I'm hungry or needed water, it's kind of always like crammed behind the desk, right. and it's, it's always like an afterthought. I love that idea of intentionality. Yeah. And then, you know, our innovations team, I'm working really closely with them as well to, to roll out uh, Sinesta Work Suite. And so that's, a, you know, kind of a multifunctional meeting uh, space facility. So that way it's not just, you know, your, your tables and classroom setting. It, it's flexible and it has different zones to really help facilitate collaboration and, uh, you know, 
breaking away from the main, you know, presentation activity, the brainstorm, and um, everything that they're bringing to the table, the innovations team with the designers that, you know, we get their sort of custom specification and, and design intent to those spaces is so exciting and it goes down to even details that I'm not directly involved with like OSNE touch points, right? Mm -hmm. So having, uh, you know, sort of mind break games to really sort of jumpstart that creativity and having casting solutions for the TV so that we are not trying to plug in a uh, <coughs> HDMI cable to mm -hmm. facilitate your meeting. And um, that's another thing that we're really looking forward to rolling out at more locations. So on the that's really cool. So work suite, is that for people staying in the hotel or it could be businesses or groups coming in yeah. to utilize this collaboration and, Both. and, and co-working, but yeah. it's, it's co-working and collaboration. Right. I mean, it could be used for either. So it could be used for sort of team meetings, for, for presentations, for co-working. It's versatile by nature in, in the objectives for it. And, and really, um, you know, we have a lot of people, uh, at Sinasa that have spent time at, at Convene and other sort of meeting-centric places. And so we're bringing all of those learnings and, you know, how do we make sure that this is executed correctly? Mm. And um, and it's much better than a Zoom breakout room. A hundred percent, right? Yeah. <laughs> people um, coming back together to meet. Yeah. And so, you know, that's for the guests of the hotels. It's, it's to drive people to stay at the hotels. But it's also mm. if, if there's an office park nearby, like, you know, bring them into the hotels too. So it, it's uh, it's really exciting. And, and we're doing it really well and really thoughtfully. And so I, I can't wait to. So, in, yeah, engaging other local businesses to come and use it. Yeah. It's better than the old conference room with just like a, an easel in the corner. Right, right. right. I and mean, and it's meeting the guests a, where they're at now. Convene right. has done a, an amazing job of like repurposing um, office floors for, for that kind of collaboration yeah. as well. They're, they're really cool. Um, all right. Well, I'm, I'm excited for it and yeah. I'm excited for 2023 and 24 and beyond. Um, but I want one, one kind of last question. If, Again, this kind of touches back on the um, kind of that idea of mentoring and yeah. learning and curiosity, but for yourself. Yeah. So if you, if you the Bridget I'm talking to now, yeah. go back to playwright Bridget, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Um, managing a Trader Joe's store, getting your first production up on stage. Yeah. But you now, the Bridget, a decade and a half or more later, yeah. appear in front of your younger self. Yeah. What advice do you have for yourself? Uh, if I look back to my younger self, I would say be patient and be open and take on as many new challenges as you can. I remember the first couple years that I was in the industry, I just wanted to be, I, want, I wanted to kind of immediately be further along. And it takes time. You need a lot of exposure um, to sort of learn the ropes. And it's a continuous process of learning, right? And so if I'm really speaking to my younger self and trying to alleviate some of the frustrations of my first couple years, it would be to have patience and um, just expose yourself to as many different aspects of the industry as possible and um, it's incredibly exciting and you learn from everyone right it's it's inevitable that you're learning from everybody if you're listening so if you're listening yeah. and if you're open right and and that breeds into curiosity yeah awesome yeah your younger self appreciates it <laughs> sure and I appreciate it too um, Bridget if people want to learn more about 
Sinestra or you? Like, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, I'm, I would say LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I mm-hmm. try to check it fairly regularly. So that, that's a good one. Great. Yeah. And then is there is the story of Sinesta published anywhere that people could read about? You know what? There's a great book. Sonny and Esther. Yeah, Sonny and that. Esther that touches on that stuff. Um, I, I, the title is escaping me right now. Um, That's quite I'll right. follow up with you for the show notes. Yeah, great. And we'll yeah. put it in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, like, I'm genuinely grateful for your time and to be here in this beautiful uh, suite at the Sinesta, Royal Sinesta in Chicago. Yeah. And we have the corn cob building down there. Yeah. The river kind of makes me wish I was back here on St. Patrick's Day when the river is green. I don't think these rooms are to be missed on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. yeah. Turn up the rate on those. Absolutely. Um, but from with all sincerity, thank you so much. Thank I, you, I Dan. appreciate it. I yeah. know how busy you are and it's yeah. hard to carve out the time to do it. So <laughs> Well, it was great talking to you. Yeah. Always is. Thank you. Yeah. And then uh, you guys out there, ooh, the listeners, um, thank you so much. I mean, again, I got to come up with a new way to say this, but it's truly humbling that we keep growing every single week and people are listening and people are engaged and I don't know, hospitality is pretty awesome. So it's, if it's changed your view or thinking on hospitality, how to deliver it, how to roll it out, how to create that feeling, how to gain new experience or be more curious, please pass it along to a friend. It's all been word of mouth. 